It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. Push ahead to Hayward. He's going to the rack. Challenging John Wall. Double clutches and dunks. Oh, Gordon, don't do me like that. You are Locked On Jazz. Your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. It is locked on Jazz for the 3rd of March. A good one goes the Jazz way last night. We'll talk about that. Rodney Hood's out again, and he's becoming very difficult to evaluate. We'll look at that, plus little ref changes around the NBA and a pack Friday to run through for you. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Pow! How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. Hope you're great. Uh, today's show, I kind of ran down what it is for you, brought to you by Murdoch Hyundai, 4646 South State Street, and Blake Murdoch and the Murdoch family. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about them in a second. Uh, before we go to pins across the world, before I start, I wanted to uh, touch on the kind of state of the jazz fan. I'm I'm not actually any different. So it's an interesting I feel like we're at an interesting point right now. Where we've had this season and it's felt really good and there've been like we've kind of had these moments where we've rolled and we felt good and we've been and and then uh we had the no extension happen for uh George Hill which really, you know, I Pretty understandable, but it, it led to a little bit of like a, uh, you know. And then Gordon, that suddenly somehow kicked in that Gordon Hayward's free agency was real too. And then we got hammered by Minnesota in a terrible performance. And I just feel like there's a weird, and I don't actually have any answer to this, or I just kind of wanted to recognize it. And I guess what I would say is try to go back, if you can, uh a little bit the big picture, but but we do. I mean, the f- pending free agencies in our off season is going to just be insane. There's there's no hiding that. Uh, hopefully J- Gordon stays. Hopefully George stays. And we just roll through it. But you're right. Anytime anyone goes free agent, there's a risk that they might leave, and uh, that risk has people. And we've got an insecurity complex as a fan base, which is weird because we really actually have never had anybody leave. Um, I'm still convinced to this day Darren would have stayed. Maybe even shows more now the fact that he talks about wanting to come back. Uh, I actually just think we made the right move to not have him stay with the franchise and have complete control of the franchise also. Uh, but anyway, uh, I just, I don't know really. I don't have a great answer for you on where I'm heading with this. I mean, I think, I, I guess maybe a little bit of what I'm saying is we're 37-24. and 24. It's pretty awesome. Um. And I don't know if that does enough for you, but we're, it's pretty awesome that we're 37 and 24, considering we were 40 and 42 last year. And if you kind of look at 
where other teams are in this process uh, going through it. We're in a pretty good space, and Toronto had the fear of Kyle Lowry leaving in free agency, and they were able to re-sign him, and now they got it again, and they had DeMar DeRozan possibly leaving free agency, and they re-signed him. And so I think you just have to hope that uh, on the free agency end, but I, I guess my point is I wouldn't let free agent the it's real. I'm not trying to say it's not real. Uh, but to let it override your thoughts and somehow miss the enjoyment of a season that has 21 uh, games left and a playoff series coming in a circumstance in which you know your team really has made a tremendous stride from being a 500 team to a 600 team, which is there aren't many franchises, by the way, that are about the Jazz are, have a possibility of going 20, 30, 40, 50 in four years. That almost never happens. Uh, and so it's pretty awesome, right? Um, and I also would point out, and maybe this doesn't move your meter at all, um, but the Jazz, with the win tonight, will win their 38th game, which will be mean that in every year uh, that the Jazz have won 38 or more games in all but two years since 1982-83. That's pretty insane. The Jazz will have won, if they win their, when they win tonight, they will win their 38th game. And in 1982-83, 82, not 90, 82, when a team of Adrian Dantley, Daryl Griffith, Ricky Green, Danny Shays, Ben Poquette, Jeff Wilkins, John Drew, Rich Kelly. I mean, I, I remember this team. It might have been in this year in which my dad and I were driving the old Wasatch Boulevard before the 215 was born. And I told my dad I wanted to be that guy. And it was Hot Rod while he was interviewing John Drew, who we acquired in a trade. And he played 40 games. And gentle Ben Poquette and Danny Shays was a rebounding machine. Ricky Green was the fastest of them all. And Rich Kelly out of came out of Stanford, and I loved him, and he was seven feet, and he lived where his family lived around where I And Jerry Eaves and a young Mark Eaton had just broken into the league, and a guy by the name of Freeman Williams was on that team who played at, like, some small school and played for the San Diego Clippers and scored, like, 100 points in college. 1982-83! The Jazz won 30 games, and since then, they have only had, after tonight, two seasons in the history of the franchise where they won less than 38 games. It's incredible. I'm not counting the year they went 37 and 13 in the in the 50 game season and were just sick. Right? In 2004-5 they won 26 and in 11-12 they won 36. No, that was a we have a 20 in there somewhere. They won 25 under tie in 13-14. Hey, it's been a pretty damn good run. So, I don't know. Like, I don't know where I'm going. I, I think, the. I guess my point is, the angst is real and we've got it really good. Make sure you're enjoying it. I think that's my point. Or can I just sometimes talk without a point? No, probably not. All right, uh, let's go to our pins across the world. Um, you can email yours in at dlock09 at gmail.com. Uh, this is from Corbett Hansen. It looks like it 
probably is legit. I grew up in Arlington, Texas as a Dallas Mavericks fan. I was graduating from high school. I moved up here to go to college. I go to jazz games occasionally because I love basketball, but didn't convert to being a fan of the jazz at the time. There was one game in particular I attended where I sat in the front row of the upper bowl to then Delta Center when the Jazz were playing the Mavericks. The Mavericks were ahead almost the whole night. I stood and cheered in my Mavericks to the dismay of those around me. True Stockton Malone fashion, they came back, took the lead with 45 seconds left and won the game. Walking out of the arena, I had multiple Jazz fans walk up to me, giving me grief that my Mavs lost. Fast forward a couple of years to the Jazz first playoff run to the finals. My wife and I came home after studying at school all day to watch the Jazz versus the Bulls. We had a small TV that didn't get good reception. We were frustrated. We couldn't see the game. So we went to the store, bought a new, bigger TV, bought it, brought it home so we could watch the second half of the game. I think you're cool. We still have the TV today. It brings back good memories when we think about the Jazz playoff games we watched on it. After watching the Jazz in the finals, I became a huge Jazz fan and have never really followed the Mavericks since. I love the team that we've put together and excited to see what we can do. Thanks for your podcast. I find it interesting. Corbett in Bountiful. Thank you, Corbett. All right, uh, Jazz Brooklyn tonight. Brooklyn's not very good. Uh, The Jazz should win. Uh, If we don't, we have a problem. They've lost 26 of 28. Uh, no Rodney Hood. Uh, this offseason, the Jazz will go play the extension game with uh, Rodney Hood uh, that they played with Rudy Gobert in this last offseason. Right? So uh, Rudy Gobert was the 2013 draft. The 2014 draft is up for extensions in this offseason. So that is Dante Exum, really hard to evaluate, and Rodney Hood, becoming, frankly, equally hard to evaluate. So Rodney's rookie year, he plays 50 games, averages nine points a game. Last year, he has this big jump. He goes to 30 minutes a night. First-time starter, he starts 79 games. He just was... Just had every inkling and every sign of upward trajectory and just terrificness. And for a litany of reasons, probably from George Hill coming, and he has the ball a little less, though his usage rate is close to the same, to a back injury, to the flu, to now back-to-back knee injuries, he has not made that jump. Uh his defense is still what it is. I'm not sure what that is. It's not great. It's not as bad as I think people try to make it sound. Uh, he has his usage rate is actually up this year to 23% from 21.5. So the George Hill argument doesn't hold a lot of weight. But he's not having as good a year, and he's 20. He was not a young college player. Remember, because he went to Mississippi State, and then he took a year off, and then he came out. So he came out as a 21 year old. So he's he's 24. He'll be 25 by opening day next year. I have I honestly have very very little understanding of who he is, or even well, I think I know who he is of what he's capable of. I really don't know. And it gets interesting. His lack of free throw shooting, which I have just belabored the point about. I got it. I've just been incessant about it, but it's really significant. So if you go, we, I did this on the on the podcast the other day with Fred Katz, but that was really long, and I don't think, I'm, I'm not a, assuming that everyone heard it. But if you take a second and look at the rate 
that Rodney doesn't go to the free throw line. Now, some of this, by the way, this is a little catch twenty two ish, is because he's so darn skilled that he doesn't he's able to do things where he doesn't have to go to the line. But if you start to take those players that have actually played uh, has Rodney played a thousand minutes this year? Probably. Yeah, I mean a thousand numbers minutes seems to be the right number. So guys that have played a thousand minutes that use less free throws than Rodney. Danny Green. These are wing players. Buddy Heald. Kyle Corver. Wayne Ellington. I mean, those are probably the four biggest just spot up shooters in the league. Terrence Ross, who's now in Orlando, Josh Richardson in Miami, Tony Snell, Etwan Moore, Courtney Lee, Joe Johnson does not get fouled, Langston Galloway, Seth Curry, Joe Harris, Joe Ingles, Trevor Ariza, C.J. Miles, and then we roll, I believe, right into Rodney Hood at this point. I got to find Rodney, but yeah, there. Clay Thompson, Jamal Murray, and Rodney Hood. So Rodney Hood goes to the free throw line 6.2% of his shots. Now, the nice thing, which I love about Rodney, is he shoots 40% of his shots as threes. Now, when you start looking at some of these other guys who shoot free throws this little, they actually go to the line. They shoot, C.J. Miles shoots 55% of his shots as threes. Trevor Reza, 61. Joe Ingles, 48. Seth Curry, 38. Rodney's at thirty at 40. So that's good. Clay Thompson's right at 40. But they actually, some of these guys actually shoot the three more, right? Uh, Terrence Ross, 48%. Kyle Korver, 40, 57%. Buddy Heald, 44%. You know, when you're not getting fouled and you're living in the mid-range, it's hard. So I, I, I just think it's a very, I think Rodney's a very, very interesting off-season case. I guess I'm just going to leave it at that. And the, as the knee injury, like I don't think this is a great sign that now it's Brooklyn, they're not very good. Maybe the decision was just to rest him and we've got a back-to-back coming back here. Uh, but, you know, the, to rule him out the day before a game, uh, and maybe we've decided he had to practice and I don't think we really practiced yesterday. It's not great. And so I don't know how long this one's going to last. Again, and again, and again, my point maybe more than anything else is so he has there's two things I would say here. He hasn't changed um who he is as a player. So that's the first one. We haven't seen development differently than year two. But you also just he hasn't had a he played eleven games, missed a game, then he played six games, missed a game, then he played four, three games, missed two, played four, missed one. The poor guy just can't get any rhythm. 11, missed 5. 3, missed 6. 7. Played 3, he'll now miss 2. His longest stretch of consecutive games at any point this year is 11. Twice. And it, you know, you wonder if by the end of those 11, was he, you know, first 11's the first 11 of the season, he was great. Scoring 17 points a game, he was hitting 47% from 3 and 41% or 47% from the field and 41% from three. I mean, he was just terrific. And now on the, and then the next stretch was game 31 to 42, where he got to play 11 straight games. He was not as good. He shot 39% and 37% from three. And then the other one that is just weird 
that's hard to tell because this is like there's been so many injuries is you start kind of running through, go back to um, the Golden State game where he got uh, the flu. He frankly has never quite been right since then. So in the 18 games since then, he's shooting 39% from the field, 39% from three, which is good, 1.2 free throws per game and 11 points a game in his last 18, 19 games. So that's, I mean, it's just a strange, again, this is my point. We're 20 games away, 18 games away from the end of the regular season. I don't feel, I'm beginning to believe that he's never going to, you know, have a purely healthy stretch, and then how and possibly do you evaluate him if you're Dennis Lindsay at the end of the season? So that was that was kind of my point. Um, the Jazz got a break last night. Uh, Oklahoma City played a 50-50 game on our chart that we talked about yesterday. Uh, for those of you who did not catch yesterday's show, I kind of gave a breakdown of how, uh, what the Jazz, the schedule with all the other teams are, and um, what the chances, you know, win probability of each game and how I saw it playing out, and I had a really, real, really likely scenario in where the Jazz win 50 games, tie with Oklahoma City, uh, don't win that don't win that tiebreaker, end up seventh. Wasn't the most appealing thing to go play San Antonio. Um, so last night was good because that's a 50-50 game, and they <clears> – and <throat> the uh, – and for – and Oklahoma City lost it. Here's a neat one, by the way. Starting tonight, this is inc- this is really going to make this fun. Tonight, Clippers, Memphis, Utah all play. No, no, I'm sorry. Tonight, Utah plays. Memphis, yeah, tonight. Memphis, L.A., Memphis, Utah, Oklahoma City all play tonight. Okay? So we there's a night where all four of us play. Tomorrow night, while we're not playing, the Clippers, Memphis, and all play. On the 5th, Utah and Oklahoma City play. Then we get into a sequence where we just about play if we all play on the same nights or at least three of us do. So on the 6th, Memphis plays, Utah plays, Clippers play. On the 8th, we play Houston and they're off. The other teams are all off. Then when we come back at it, all we get into a sequence of games where almost all of us play on the same nights every night. It's going to be just awesome. You know, we go to we play Oklahoma City, Memphis plays Atlanta that night, and the Clippers I think uh, may be off that uh, or have a game at it. It it just gets to the sequence where all of a sudden you look up and the we're all playing, or at least three. Whenever we play, it's like three of us play on the same night, which means we're just going to be watching this. And we're and, it, and as I've talked about, it's going to be so closely uh, fit together. Uh, League announced yesterday a bunch of referee stuff that I just thought was really interesting. And I would just tell you that going to the league meetings this year, it, Adam Silver is taking the officiating much more seriously than. Uh, it wasn't. I, I feel like it was in the past. Trying to use technology, really trying to use outside sources of psychology, trying to do a lot of things to make this, uh, make the everyone get better. Um, the interesting one to me on this is the idea that they're going to judge every call. I, I, this is where I just don't know the answer. So, so often in this game, 
There'll be a rebound. Gobert goes over the back of a guy and hits the ball, and it goes out of bounds. And instead of calling the foul on Gobert, they just give Dallas the ball going the other way. So on the if they robot judge everything somehow, as they sound like they're going to, does that somehow become a bad call by the – or actually, let me – really, here's what happens. Gobert goes over the back of Dirk Nowitzki on a rebound. Nowitzki hits it out of bounds, and they give the ball to Dallas. So they make the wrong call. But for the sake of the game, they don't, it's, they don't call foul, and they let the game continue, and the best player is not in foul trouble, and the fans get a better experience. It happens all the time. It's the right thing to do for the game. Is that going to go away? Because that would be bad. That scenario happens once or twice a night, and it's the right thing to do. Today's show is brought to you by Murdoch Hyundai. I've been telling you that I've been driving the Murdoch Santa Fe and every uh, the Hyundai Santa Fe and uh, Jerry Carter, longtime photographer of the Jazz, uh, video photographer for the Jazz. Comes, to, you're not. No, I am driving a Hyundai Santa Fe, and I'm not making this up. I have been crazily impressed. And I think that's the message I would have to you. If you're in the market and you're shopping for a car and you do your usual, your Honda, Honda, Toyota, Lexus, Ford, what include Hyundai in the list of cars you're looking at. That's what I told you. And it's a, should I go? He's like, should I buy the Santa Fe? I was like, I like it. It's got great space. Drives well. Actually, this was really cool. My, I was, my wife was talking to me the other day about how much she likes it. Because my wife's four foot eleven, and it has every camera imaginable. Well, at four foot eleven, it's hard to see everything driving, frankly. And so the fact that it has every camera imaginable on back, it has. Yet last night we went out for ramen uh, right by Fashion Place, and my daughter had a softball practice, and uh, we, I was parking, and somehow they have the camera set, so it basically is like coming up from the top. So that I can look at it and see where I fit on the lines. It's amazing. It's got all the safety gadgets. Like I, I, I said, this this is the most expensive um, car I've been given to drive ever because my son's fourteen, and when he turned sixteen, I always just thought we'd give him a beater. Now that I see all the safety things that are on these cars, there's no way he's getting a beater. Like you change lanes, try to change lanes, and there's a car sitting next to you. It starts beeping at you, and making it gives you a little notification in your mirrors if there's a car on each side. It it. The moon roof, sunroof is hot. He doesn't, you know, that's he doesn't get to you. That's not why I care about him. But so I really have just, I, I truly, I'm driving it. I'll drive it today. I'll drive it today to shoot around. I'll drive it today to solitude for a few hours. I'll drive it today back to the arena. Uh, it has been really a nice experience. And then the Murdoch family is a really, really good family that is running their dealership in a manner to try to make sure that you walk out and speak well of them, which is cool. Uh, you know, they have two goals. To make sure they have inventory so that you have an easy selection. And two, that you have an unbelievable experience with no regrets. Check it out. Murdoch Hyundai, 4646 South State Street. It's also a location in Logan as well as in Lee. All right, let's do our Pack Friday and look at this. Uh, Kevin Durant is at 3.9. Isaiah Thomas is at 3.4. James Harden's at 3.0. Those are our three guys at the top. 
Interesting little note on Durant, by the way. He's at 3.9. Last year, he was at 4.1. And the year prior, he was at 4.0. Points above average created. So with all the possessions he uses, what does he do more than the average player in the NBA? Um, so I find that interesting. That he, you know, I, I've always kind of believed that your performance is not greatly dictated by your team, by the difference of your teammates. So it's interesting to see what Curry and Thompson do. They're not doing much right now without Durant. Uh, but losing a 3.9 is a big deal. So Isaiah Thomas continues to be the second-best offensive player. James Harden, the third. Curry, fourth. Kawhi Leonard, fifth. LeBron James, six. Kyle Lowry, seven. Rudy Gobert, the eighth-most impactful offensive player. DeAndre Jordan, ninth. And now Giannis Adetokounmpo is tenth. Nikolai Jokic, 11th. Otto Porter, twelve. Carl Anthony Towns, 13. Bradley Beal, 14. That's why Washington's winning. Look what Otto Porter and Bradley Beal are doing. Tyson Chandler, 15. Danilo Gallinari, 16. Lou Williams, 17. Gordon Hayward, 18. Dwight Howard, 19. Clint Capella, 20. Gordon Hayward, 1.8 pack. I did it with David Thorpe on the program. Gordon Hayward, Paul George, Jimmy Butler. Gordon Hayward is better this year. And wasn't that far off in the past. And I, I ju- and then I have to hear about how the other guys are better two-way players. It's just, it's just not true. Or I'm either blinded by my fandom, my enjoyment of him, my fact that I, I sincerely like him, like Robin. Never don't know the kids, but like they're they mean something to me. Okay, so maybe I'm full of crap because they mean something to me, but. Gordon Hayward's at 1.8 pack this year. So Gordon Hayward uses... Trying to find the exact number. uh, 18.6 scoring opportunities tonight, and he's 1.8 points better than the average player. Jimmy Butler uses two more scoring opportunities a night than Gordon Hayward, and he's only 1.2 points better than the average player. Paul George. Oh, the great Paul George. And I'm not trying to, I'm joking. Like, Butler and George are good, but this idea that they're so superior and somehow different, like, I'm listening and, oh, you can give Jimmy Butler the max, but you don't want to give it to Gordon Hayward. Like, that just doesn't jive at all. Brian Windhorst is on Trube is saying, well, Gordon's not a difference maker. Okay, actually, I don't actually have a huge problem with saying, but then Paul George is not a difference maker, and Jimmy Butler isn't a difference maker. Like, if you're going difference maker wins a championship, then there's like five of them. And he's not in that five. But nor are the other guys. So quit the crap. Just stop. Because it's inaccurate. Paul George uses 19 scoring opportunities tonight. He's a point four. A point four. Gordon's considerably better. 1.8. Back. Top 20 in the NBA. While involving his teammates more. I don't know what it's going to take. And maybe it's just not going to happen for people to get it. And and then and the other one that's like, all right, I, I'm, on, I'm on one now. We're going we're gonna to lose the pack time here. Okay. Like, not to be to, not to be rude to the, his, Gordon's teammates, but, like, the idea that Gordon's not a difference maker. Like, who are the offensive players that Gordon's playing with? 
Okay, George Hill's a nice offense player, the same one Paul George was playing with all these last years, and, and he's played 36 games. So who are the who are these great offensive players that Gordon's playing with? He's not a difference maker because his team is 12th in the league offensively. Jimmy Butler's team is 18th offensively. And Paul George's is 14th offensively. Okay, you can go give me that somehow these guys are such great defenders, but Indiana's 19th defensively and Chicago's 12th. And Utah has got Rudy Gobert, so it's a little different, but they're third and, you know, fun. But, like, offensively as a team, Utah in the East, in the West, is better than Indiana and Chicago. And and he, and that, he's the lead guy. Why does he get credit for that? Maybe he did. He's an all-star. Say so he doesn't get credit. Okay, Utah's 37 and 24. Chicago's 31 and 30, and Indiana's 31 and 30. You can just stick it where the sun doesn't freaking shine. Really? 37 and 24 in the West. And these guys are 31 and 30, and we're going to still just constantly have them on the podium a step ahead. It's just bullcrap. Now, Again, I'm a big fan of the dude, so I'm entirely biased. But I think I'm looking at it really rationally. Everything I just gave was a number. And I and I don't know what numbers someone can go give me other than a bullcrap eye test, which is tainted. All right. Uh, those are the best pack players in the NBA. The worst are going to stay the same for much of the year, but let's run through them. I don't feel better about it. I don't know why it's in my craw. It's in my craw, frankly, because for three years I've been talking about this. For three or four years I've been talking about the fact that <clears throat> Paul George and Jimmy Butler are just not that much better than Gordon Hayward. And it like I got, I've been entirely kind of mocked about it. And frankly, now I'm right. If I can just be totally blunt about it. Now I'm right. He's better than they are. Uh, but it's only one year, and really, let's let's look at complete seasons. That's just not true either. That That is fundamentally not true. Uh, let's go look at their entire careers. And Gordon is, no question, the slowest developer of all of them. No question. Okay? Uh, Gordon Hayward is 26 years old in his seventh season. Paul George is 26 years old in his seventh season. Jimmy Butler is actually the oldest in his sixth season at 27. Their effective field goal percentages for their career. Gordon Hayward's is better. Okay? What else you want? Their rebounds? Paul George 6.2, Jimmy Butler 4.7, Gordon Hayward 4.1. Okay. Assists, Gordon Hayward more per game. Block shots, same. Steals, Paul George 1.6, Butler 1.4, Hayward 1.0. All right. I mean, he's not, like, amazingly better. But he's not, but he's better. Three-point shooters, career, Gordon Hayward 36.5, Paul George 36.6, Jimmy Butler 33. So, Paul George and Gordon Hayward are the best. Paul George's defensive rating for his career is better than Gordon's. Not sure I totally buy it, but all right. If I'm giving all the numbers. Offensive win shares in their career. Jimmy Butler, 29. Gordon Hayward, 28. Paul George, 16. 
overall win shares in their career. Jimmy Butler, 45. Gordon Hayward, 41. Paul George, 41. Pretty close. Assist rate while they're on the floor. Gordon Hayward, 19%. Paul George, 17%. Jimmy Butler, 15%. Just stop. True shooting percentage, which includes going to the free throw line, which Jimmy Butler does more than anyone else. 56.5, Jimmy Butler. Gordon Hayward, 56.2. Paul George, 55. This is for their careers. Their careers. This year, he's just better than they are. He's just better than they are. If he played in the West, he hadn't been part of a rebuild, maybe we'd all know it. Who knows what else? Uh, your worst offensive player in the league, by the way, I think this is interesting. Cameron Payne is the third worst in the NBA. That's what Chicago unloaded everything for uh, to give Oklahoma City those players. Brandon Ingram's not real good either. He's the fourth worst, but he's a rookie. I don't get too worried about it, but it's not good. All right, quickly, because I'm out of time, and it's my own fault. Who are the hottest players in the NBA? Let's just find out who the hottest and coldest players are in the NBA for Pack Friday today. Why was I so grumpy? Carl Anthony Towns is the hottest player in the NBA. Last 10 games, his pack rating is 5.1. Pau Gasol is 2. LeBron James, 3. Kyle Korver, 4. Danilo Gallinari, 5. Bradley Beal, 6. Kevin Durant, 7. Clint Capella, 8. Lou Williams, 9. Andrew Wiggins, 10. No wonder Minnesota's second in the league offensively over the last 10 games. Michael Beasley, 11. Seth Curry, 12. James Harden, 13. Giannis Adetokounmpo, 14. Zaza Pachulia has only played five games. George Hill for the Jazz is next. Clay Thompson, Jameer Nelson, stunningly. And C.J. Miles followed by Gordon Hayward. Coldest players in the NBA? Did I prove my point enough? Still kind of hot. Coldest player in the NBA, John Wall. LaMarcus Aldridge. Chris Paul, he's only played three games. Ursan Ilyasova. Andre Drummond. Clay Trey Lyles. Trevor Ariza. Robin Lopez. Nikolai Vukovic. Contavious Caldwell-Pope. And Cameron Payne. That, my friends, is Locked on Jazz. Have a fabulous weekend. I'll talk to you Monday back home we play New Orleans, the Boogie Cousins show, unless he gets suspended between now and then. Uh, we'll be in town. Jazz and the Kings on Sunday. That's an early game. I hope you join. Go out to somewhere beautiful. Have a nice day, though it's supposed to maybe snow. Um, and have a wonderful day. And join me uh, on the radio with Ron for the 4 o'clock start. Our time. Brooklyn tonight. Come out and join us. Make sure you get the reunited tickets as well. This has been Locked on Jazz. Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter. So it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feet every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday, we talk hoops and a little bit of life. On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before. Find Rejecting the Screen right now wherever you get podcasts and hit that subscribe button.